Too many cooks, too many cooks, too many cooks, too many cooks. I'm kind of afraid that I'm the I'm the murderer guy in the end. <laughs> I'm not afraid that you are. I just know that you are. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I can only hope that I'm in the space G.I. Joe segment. Okay. Because I feel like that would be the most fun segment to be in. Really, I'm I'm some lame sitcom dad, let's be honest. Well, now you are. Yes, it's 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 true. I, before that, I was the lame sitcom nerd. Now I'm the lame sitcom dad in the spinoff. Maybe I'm Corey. At least this is a show that's making progress uh, over time, rather than just randomly... Every, everyone lands on their feet after the end of every episode and nothing changes. Well, I mean, we never get to the end of an episode. We're still in the opening credits, as far as I know. All right, we're going to stop discussing um, <laughs> obs- probably very obscure internet humor and instead start the show. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about DC United and many other things soccer. Tonight we have a special guest, our annual visit from one Mr. Travis Clark from TopDrawerSoccer.com. We're going to talk to him for a while, and then we're going to turn to a news roundup for DC United and MLS in general. Before we get to any of that, though, uh, Travis, we have you on, so we're going to start with you. Number one, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Still running a little cold, so forgive me if I... uh... Come sound a little scratchy here on the recording. Well, now I'm going to sound like a jerk because I have to ask this. What are you drinking tonight? I just had a nice glass of milk with some cookies. That sounds kind of nice, actually. That actually sounds kind of great. Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I picked up a uh, Three Stars Brewing in uh, Washington, D.C. zone. Uh, They make a peppercorn saison that I'd never had before. Um, and so far, it's really good. It's not really as peppercorny as maybe I was thinking it might be, but yeah, uh, it's I, pretty good. That's it's one of my favorites something. that they make. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right; it's it I, it could use a little more peppercorn, uh, especially in the winter time. But in the summertime, yeah, it's a really good summer it's there, season. You, you can tell it's there. It's just not like pow, you know. Sure, Ben. What are you drinking? So. Uh, I went to the local market on my way home today to pick up a beer to spice things up, and Delirium Tremens is one of my favorite beers of all time, so I went and got their uh, sister beer, alternate beer, the Delirium Nocturnum, which I've had a couple times before. Uh, I like it for its variety. It's a little darker. It's a little winter, winterier, and it's, uh, it, it's really good. If you haven't had Delirium Tremens, go, stop. Pause this podcast. Go to your local beer monger and and go get it. Or you know, I prefer not turn them. Take the phone to your car and listen to us on your drive or well, metro or tell. walk oh, if you've to got the liquor store. That does that. Don't don't don't, don't get on the metro though. Don't metro right now. No, don't metro. Yeah, metros. That's that's a good point. Yeah, your train will be on fire when it pulls up to the station. Yeah, they'll let you in though. Apparently, though, there are no casuals of the uh, traditional variety. I don't know what that means, but that was the announcement on Twitter. <laughs> I'm drinking Lagunitas Brewing's Harry Eyeball Ale. It's their seasonal beer, and it's it's a tasty one. It's it's mm-hmm. a nice winter ale. I, I don't really have a lot to add to that, um, especially since I've been thinking about the Super Draft more in the last few days now that I've been finally able to, to pay attention to it than is probably reasonable, but still I am... 
just scratching the surface compared to to Travis's knowledge. So let's start at the the top of the draft, Travis. Every single mock draft I've seen from you at Top Drawer Soccer, from uh, Jason and our, our other colleagues at SB Nation and anywhere else, seems to have the same three or four guys going at the top. Is there any chance that that some combination of Kyle Laren, uh, Christian Roldan, Kiri Shelton, and Ramon Martin Del Campo don't go one, two, three, four? I think that Del Campo is the likeliest of that quartet to drop lower. Um, from what people I've talked to at the Combine, and uh, we don't actually rate him that highly. He's just kind of one of those players riding kind of the wave. Um, he trained, I think, with the, against the U.S. national team because he was playing on the San Jose Earthquakes PDL team last summer and kind of caught a little bit of a a, wa- a wave that he is now riding to, I guess, the first-round pick. He'll probably be a first-round pick still, but there's a chance he could drop out. You know, he's kind of a, a big center back, and he's not nothing really that special. I think the other three players, you know, you were talking about, Christian Roldan, Kyrie Shelton, and... Kyle Laren are much more exciting prospects, if you will. I uh, so there there seems to be a general consensus that that this is not a deep draft outside of those top three three guys you mentioned. That there's a big drop off, and and you're not going to find as many impact players in this year's class that that will even make an impact. Not even next season, but but in two or three years. Uh, number one, do you agree with that? I think that you hear that every year, and I don't, uh, you know, no one really out there blows me away. But as is sort of traditional with both the Super Draft and American soccer in general, I feel like you'll have these just random guys kind of come out of nowhere that'll be picked in like the 20s or 30s that will end up, you know, playing like 15 games or something. I don't know if they'll have a lot of long longevity, and no names really jump off to mind. But I think that you're just gonna see a little more kind of Business as usual when you're looking at past drafts, I guess, is a good way to put it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that seems to be the, the story every year where where the draft isn't good enough and then you see teams make crazy trades to move up in the draft to select somebody. Word on the street right now, is, or the rumors flying around, are, is, is that NYCFC is shopping their number two pick. I don't know if, if that's true, but if they are... Do you think, I guess Kyle Lahren is most likely to go number one to Orlando City. Do you think it's worth trading up to get Roldan or Shelton or somebody else in this class? Or is it? are you better off keeping your, your assets to yourself? <laughs> I really like Roldan. I mean, he's a very polished midfielder. He's 19 years old, so he's you know a little bit on the younger side when you're looking at it by MLS standards. But he is somebody that... I think if New York City FC wants to trade down and pick up an asset that is more MLS ready in terms of a player, somebody proven already, where in a team that maybe has a USL pro team can shuffle Rodan back and forth between, it'd be worth it. And you know, obviously it depends on the price tag, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's a guy that I would trade out for. He's no Andre Blake if you're the Philadelphia Union, but <laughs> just gotta make a Union joke, even though that didn't make sense, but. Um, well, it actually provides me a really good uh, segue because my next question is about the crop of goalkeepers in this year's draft. And assuming, well, luckily the Union are not in the first round. They don't have a pick in the first uh, 21 <laughs> selections. So there's a good chance that there will still be a goalkeeper on the board when it, DC United selects at number 17. 
Um, even though the the class as a whole is is kind of you know getting some shade thrown at it from various <laughs> corners, the the goalkeeper class seems to be pretty well regarded. You got Alex Bono, you've got Wolverton, uh, Miller are all kind of getting some love from various corners. Who's the best of the bunch, do you think? And will are are any of them worth taking at number seventeen if they're still on the board? Well, you you'd have to jump on Alex Bono if he's there at seventeen because um, a generation Adidas pick at that stage. You know, think Shiloshuma last year for the Timbers. You know, he was kind of dropping, 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 and um, I think Bono is the best um, of the three. I don't know if you necessarily trade up for him, but um, but if he's there, probably, you'd take him. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a big guy, uh, quick. He, he has not quite the promise of Zach Steffen, but was right up there with the best goalkeeper in the country, obviously. You know, he was a finalist for the Herman Trophy, which rarely happens with goalkeepers, and, you know, backstopped a Syracuse team that got a little bit unlucky against um, Georgetown and lost. You know, otherwise, I think they could have made it all the way to the College Cup. But um, as for Miller and Wolverton, you know, Big Ten goalkeepers were pretty darn good this season, and... Um, I think Miller's situation, you probably have to be a little concerned that he's over in Europe and not at the Combine. And that Wolverton was injured and missed the Combine. So there's a couple guys you know a little bit less about. You know, Maybe Miller's overtures towards Europe ends up dropping him and you got to take a flyer on him. But I think if, if you're DC United, that could be someone you end up... Um, Miller or Wolverton, if they're there in the second round, maybe you, jump, you definitely go if they're there in the 40s, even though I don't know if they necessarily would be. But... Beyond that, too, you know, Washington goalkeeper Spencer Ritchie, someone with a lot of promise who suffered through a kind of a little bit of a shaky season. Uh, he broke his leg in the, kind of this nasty incident in 2013, decided to come back for red redshirt senior season, and wasn't quite the same keeper, so maybe you take a flyer on him. Hope that he kind of rediscovers his form. Uh, UCLA goalkeeper Earl Edwards probably get a little bit of buzz, too. You know, has the pedigree of a U17 men's national team player, but I'm not a huge fan of him. So there's there's a long list. I mean, I feel like there were a lot of fringe goalkeepers last year, and this year they're guys that I feel a lot better about, but I still hate judging college goalkeepers. But those three guys are, you know, pretty safe bets. If You could even pick Miller or Wolverton if you're confident about them staying. You think Bill Hamid's out the door soon next year. Somebody might want to jump on. Yeah, that's the background. Of course, DC United traded Joe Willis to the Houston Dynamo just before the expansion draft, along with Samuel Incum. Um, Incum had to go for international <laughs> roster slot reasons that only make sense in MLS, and Joe Willis well, wanted a chance to compete. spots are in other countries to defend MLS, which is something I'm rare to do. No, they, they do exist <laughs> in other countries, but they... The, the interplay of international roster slots and expansion drafts, mm, yeah, yeah, and protected players are that that whole thing is a, a situation unique to to this continent. And it, any other year, it would have been kind of silly to trade Samuel Incum uh, in that trade. But but Joe Willis, I think, was always out the door this offseason. So United was always going to be looking for a goalkeeper, whether that comes in the draft or not, because United is famously at least under Ben Olsen, a team that, that drafts not for need, but but always takes the best available player. Uh, we had one question on Twitter for you asking, wh- which way would you prefer, uh, 
if you were in the war room, which way would you be advocating? Would you be saying we need we have needs in central midfield, left back, center back, we need to focus on those, or would you take the best player available in the draft? I think going best player available makes the most sense because if you feel good about a guy and scouted a guy, you know, you're you bringing on an asset for free. So, yeah, I mean, besides from the cost of scouting a player, you know, and a lot of players don't work out from when you're making that jump from college soccer. So if you have a chance to grab somebody you feel good about, no matter where on the field, you know, obviously soccer, you can bring in players from around the world. Not that DC has done that very well in, of late, but um, it. I think if you feel good about a guy, you feel you scouted him well, and he'll make the jump, he'll be a contributor in 2015, then you go that way. Jason? Uh, I'm glad you brought up um, Spencer Ritchie. That was going to be my question, um, bringing bringing him in as a, a potential late goalkeeper. Um, but uh, I guess I'm kind of fascinated looking around um, at some of the other mock drafts that I've seen. It almost seems like the Generation Adidas class isn't – people aren't necessarily very excited about it. Um, is there anyone there that uh, – I mean, outside of um, – the top two uh, with um, Laren and Roldan, um, are, are people, is this, is it more of a, we sign these guys out of necessity um, to have some sort of generation of this class, or is it these five are just the only people that really, uh, quali- are, are, are they, I guess, are they up to the standard is what I'm getting at, and uh, as compared to the past, because um, it's a smaller class than, or I think last year's was eight, and this year we're down to five. Yeah, I mean, I think it, starts with the MLS transition between signing homegrown players versus signing Generation Adidas and where the money is going for that. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, past Generation Adidas classes have been bigger, but there's also a lot of washouts. I think a couple of years ago I did sort of a, a retrospective look at um, Gener- Generation Adidas class successes, and it's like it's a good class if 50% of them had a long career. I mean, it's a great class if one or two of them made it onto the men's national team. So I don't, you know, I think it's a combination, you know, sort of a perfect storm of the homegrown stuff and CBA uncertainty. You know, why would a guy leave school if he's at Georgetown um, for, you know, a full ride at Georgetown? Georgetown Yeah, but, you know, Morris's case is a little bit different because he wouldn't be a GA signing. But, um, you know, why would you leave that when there's uncertainty about this and, your offer's not as good, and et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So I think that the five players they've brought in, uh, you know, Connor Donovan is probably the most raw. Romario Williams has the most questions simply because UCF was pretty rotten last year, and, you know, he wasn't that great after having a, a great 2013 season. So will he have the same success as Deshaun Brown, who um, fits a lot of the same, ticks a lot of the same boxes because they're both, you know, they're both Jamaican, they're both, went to UCF, and they're both strikers. So I think that they probably tried to go a little bit more for quality over quantity. So in the end, it's it's okay, but I think if you have a higher success rate than if you just added two or three more guys kind of the night before the draft just to make it an eight-person class or whatever. Mm. I guess my other question is, um, especially this year since we had so many local schools... Uh, Near the top, um, in, in the end, there were six six teams in the tournament from the area, uh, if you want to stretch as far out as uh, 
uh, JMU, which I, I think that's fair. We'll, we'll do them that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of I kind of set you up for that. Um, but uh, of the of the local prospects, um, of the players that are out there, guys like Dan Metzger and Eric Bird, um, who do you think is the most likely to stick in MLS and actually make a career in the league? I mean, I, I really like Metzger. I think that, you know, he's not the most athletic guy. So when you look at his game, you know, he's a, a D, D mid type. I wouldn't call him a destroyer. I saw somebody scouting report that said he's just a hack, and I was like, yeah, I've seen him play for the last four years, and I never thought of him as a hack. And you know, he, he's not afraid to mix it up. I think the question, you know, can he keep up uh, the speed of the game, and um, can he cover enough ground? Uh, Eric Bird's obviously had some injury issues uh, over the past, I guess, couple months and was kind of in and out of that College Cup game. Uh, mm. I, I think that you'll see one of those guys end up having a decent career. I'm not, like, super wild about anybody's chances of being an MLS superstar. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see a guy like Omar Balo from UMBC. You know, he's he's got a lot of the physical tools, but the soccer... You know, the soccer sometimes isn't there, the technical ability, that kind of a thing. So um, those are the three guys that I would look at. Um, you know, Georgetown goalkeeper Tomas Gomez, he's – I'm again, I hate the you – know, you know, looking at goalkeepers, I'm, I'm not really no, not really qualified to assess. You know, he's a, definitely improved a lot his four years at Georgetown and has a lot of, you know, what I think – a goalkeeper coach would want in a pro team, but you know he's maybe somebody for the USL pro or NESL level. I think one thing that I haven't really harped on much is how many jobs there are going to be. Like USL pro is almost doubling in size. You know, where who's going to play in those mm-hmm. leagues? So like all of these seniors who normally would you know probably end up working at Starbucks by you know middle of the year. Could end up, you know, playing if they're you know want to play for the you know, low wages, lower wages, Starbucks wages. Up, yeah, could end up playing soccer still. So that's going to be kind of a fascinating. You know, are, are mm-hmm. some guys going to stick around longer and end up with careers who might not have in the past? Mm-hmm. This is the year of you know soccer opportunity. Yeah, that's one of the beauties yeah, I mean, of the expansion of USL Pro. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. You, you, we could get more Chris Wondolowski's out of this, just late bloomers who come on really, really strong. But that's if you want another one. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, dude. Too soon. That was mean. I'm sorry, Chris, if you're listening. <laughs> I hope he's listening. That would be kind of great. That would be completely random and awesome. The most shocking development in this podcast history. Yes. <laughs> ben, you're up. Uh, so speaking of USL Pro, Travis, uh, do you have any opinions on the MLS USL partner USL Pro partnership so far? Do you think it's uh, working out for the the uh, young players in the league and the young players on the uh, ends of MLS rosters? I mean, it's hard to say. It, it's good on on paper, but um, I think that one of the difficulties of evaluating it is, is it's too new. So you don't have to you don't have to go like four or five years down the road, see who's getting minutes. You know, I look at I I, I did, went around and checked out to see who was kind of getting minutes and who wasn't, and 
I think at the end of the day, it's going to be this interesting balance between, you know, you have so many of these MLS two, you know, reserve teams in a league where you have regular teams that have their own agenda and own things they want to accomplish. So I think this year is going to be an even bigger test of that. Not only is it kind of exploded in size, we'll be able to handle the, you know, the adjustment to X many more teams, but will it also be able to adjust the competing interests of the different teams? Because you know, Seattle will probably want to play 50% academy guys, whereas, you know, Sacramento wants to win the league, or, um, you know, Richmond wants to win the league. So how will those merge and intersect? Um, You know, I'm not a huge fan of it. I just think so much is being harped on about. I just don't know. But then at the same time, I don't know what would be better and what would be a better solution. So I'm not out to criticize something when I don't have a response to it as well. I mean, something is better than nothing at this point. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, how will all those kind of... Is it just going to be another wild west of soccer in America like youth soccer is or college soccer is in some respect? Or is it going to be something that's going to be pretty unified and working towards the betterment of players here? It's funny. USL is in so many ways the anti-NASL, and I mean that in the current incarnation of the NASL, which wants to be a rival to MLS. And USL Pro, on the other hand, is very much, we want to be a developmental league. We want to grow people for MLS and for the national team and for whoever else. We want to, we're all about development from PDL on up, basically. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. They just hired the uh, shoot, I'm actually, I'm horrible. I'm blanking on his name. The the former coach of the University of Evansville. They just, Mike brought, yeah, Mike Jacobs. They brought him in to to help them with that exact identity, and they want to be a, a league with a bunch of regions and basically an unlimited number of teams across the, however many regions it takes. So it's it's interesting that that developing players and not necessarily just being a a team for competition or league for competition has become such a, a core part of their identity. Well, I think the regional approach is what we need to really focus on because... Oh, I um, completely we, agree. We, because when, when people bang the drum about promotion relegation, and I think there's a lot of merit to the argument, you know, one thing that people don't consider is how much it costs to travel for these leagues. You know, it's mm-hmm. like serious cash. So, you know, if a team is moving up and down, then who's going to pay for it? Where's the revenue? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I think that is something, and you know, you, you cut travel distance, you cut costs, you improve level of play because players aren't necessarily flying as much or flying as far or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, that, if it can continue to grow and expand like that, it would be good. Uh, you know, I think that there's a trend where the emphasis on development is obviously appealing to college coaches now. You know, look at Jay Vitovich who left, a, you know, a college soccer coach at a major D1 school is let's be honest, a really cushy gig for yeah. most. Like, your job security is... I don't even know what some coaches need to yeah. get fired. But And there um, are a few few that are even cushier than than most. Yeah, I mean, consider that UVA head coach, George Gelnovich, took over the job for Bruce Arena when he left mm-hmm. to start coaching DC United. Mm-hmm. He's still there. Yeah. Like, why would yep. you ever... Literally so, 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to see a Vitovich-type leave, it's like, okay, well, these coaches want to crack, get a chance at the pro game. I think sometimes they get overlooked, but, uh, you know, I think the 
it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues amongst college coaches because you talk to some and they're pushing for the schedule change because that'll help on development because you're actually training players and not just playing a game every other day or whatever. So I think that you could see more team more more of these college coaches flocking the USL pro type teams if especially the, the in-house ones. Yeah, if the league continues to expand and then if the league um continues to add more teams, they'll need more coaches. So what better than coaches that have a better track record of developing 18 to 22 year olds than most MLS coaches do. There you go. Yep. Lots of singers at the MLS. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's all right. And then my last question is one that we had a lot of people ask about. Are there any current DC United Academy players that you might see uh, signing a homegrown player contract in the next year, next two years, maybe? The one name that comes to mind, the obviously the Colin Martin and Jalen Robinson, those were your two big players. Um, the one name, I really like Ian Harks' game. I think he could end up uh, if he wants to sign as a homegrown player, he could end up at DC United one day. Um, none of the other guys are really thriving or succeeding in college to a point where I'd say, hey, you know, they should end up signing a pro deal one day. Sully Donka has been at Maryland, but uh, he hasn't really uh, shown, I think, what you need. You'd, you'd want somebody who's kind of starting from day one and in the lineup, not in and out of the lineup or in Sasha's doghouse. So the the one name, I think, you know, obviously, DC United fans know it because his last name is pretty famous. But um, his name, you know, he's a player that kind of lives up to it. He's not just, well, that's John's son. He's actually a pretty legit player. All right, good to know. Travis, thanks for, for joining us tonight. I hope you feel better. Get over your cold. One day I will. Thanks for uh, having <laughs> me on, guys. Yeah, why don't you, real quick, tell our listeners where they can find you online if by some weird twist of fate or rock they've been living under, they they don't know where to find you online. Sure, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, Travis M. Clark, and then, of course, topdoorsoccer.com for all your non-professional soccer needs. That's college (laughs) club and youth national team stuff and a little bit of pro stuff, I'll be honest. When are you going to start covering the pickup games in D.C.? Someday you're going to have to pick up the, the immigrant leagues. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, got to no, leave no stone unturned, right? Yeah, that Sunday morning Central American League in, in Shaw, man, it's something else. You're going to have to start coming down. I watch it from my dog park every Sunday morning. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. I'm sure it's. I'm sure there's all kinds of games like that around here, too. Virginia, D.C., Maryland. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Feel better. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Have a good day. Night. You too, Travis. Thanks. I'm out. Let's turn our attention now to... Actually, let's stick with the Super Draft. Uh, When Travis was on, we didn't want to talk about this just because it's going to be Jason doing most of the talking, and thought that would have been rude to our guest. Not it, it wouldn't be the first time we talked over a guest, but no. but I wanted to think no, about it. Be the last. <laughs> I wanted to avoid it once I realized it was inevitable. Uh, so so instead let's talk about now let's talk about SB Nation's mock super draft, uh, which came out today. It, it was held over the weekend and and Jason, yep. you were Black and Red United's representative uh, at the draft. We ended up taking Andy, how's it pronounced, Toma? Toma, if I'm not mistaken. 
uh, it's Toma. Unless yeah, we, uh, what I've heard other people say was also misinformed, which has happened uh, yeah. in the soccer world. So sure. you never also know. It wouldn't be the first time. Nor right. the last. <laughs> uh, Andy Toma, uh, a left fullback from, from the University of Washington, and we also ended up with Akil Barrett, a forward, Jamaican forward from mm-hmm. Tulsa. Uh, tell us a little bit about the players you took, whether you think we'll actually get them in the real super draft and, uh, you know, whatever else you feel like talking about. Uh, all right. Well, I guess I'll start with my non sequitur. Um, I conducted this draft while making chili. Uh, my friend was having a football playoff party, so I made chili, had my laptop set up in the kitchen, and uh, just went to town on some chili, stirred it for about two hours. Um because it took about that long, because conducting a internet mock draft with 20 people turns out to be a uh, fairly arduous process. Um, a, a former guest of the show, and, and probably future guest, I, I would assume, um, Alicia Rodriguez kept us on track as, as best she could, but it's still uh, 20 adults running in 20 different directions. So, um, and, and like this podcast, I also may or may not have derailed the mock draft on multiple occasions. <laughs> um, Good work, sir. Right. Um, Andy Toma, um, good, fast. Um, I think one of the, I think he had the fifth fastest 30-yard dash time when they measured uh, the athletic categories at the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, um, really a, a competitive uh, player, a, a little bit of Chris Corb to him where um, he's not a, he's not out to play dirty or tough or anything like that, but he's uh, very dogged, very determined um uh, the kind of guy that doesn't give up on plays at all. Um, good physical, good physically all around. Um, not just fast, but a good athlete. He's he's got decent strength. Um, not really gonna contribute much as an attacking player. I think he only had seven assists in a four-year college career. So um, we're not talking about a Taylor Kemp where he's gonna be constantly overlapping and hitting crosses. But Toma has played some as a midfielder. Um, he can jump into the attack and be sort of a supporting player, um, which is a little bit of what um, Corb may... Corb is very good at getting around this man. He's just not good at hitting the cross. Um, that might be a similar thing with Toma. Um, he might be he might become a guy that's good at getting around the man but not good at putting a ball into the box. Um, but he's unlike Corb, he's not a left or right back. He is a left back. Um, Left-footed you're not going to see him play on both sides. Yes, um, he's not going to be switching flanks unless it's uh, a, a pretty a pretty big emergency. I wouldn't imagine. Or if um, we hire Jurgen Klinsmann to coach after oh, and leaves, right. prefers inverted fullbacks. You got to have your inverted fullbacks, or else you're not. You're at that point. You're a tactical dullard if you're playing fullbacks <laughs> where you might think they naturally belong. Um, Four three three forever. That's the only formation you're allowed to play. Um, but, uh, Tell us a little bit uh, about Akil Barrett. As as, well, I, I guess one more comment with with Toma is that I really doubt he's going to be around at number seventeen in the real draft. Um, uh, I had him as my fifth player on my. I made a list of one because th- we had. I had to wait till the very last pick of our mock draft, so I had forty two players in a list, and uh, Toma was fifth. Um, so I don't I don't see him falling that far. He is the best left back in the field. Um and left back, as everyone knows, is a tough position for American soccer in general. So if there's a good one out there, they're gonna go e- earlier than they even maybe merit. 
and he merits going early enough as it is. So don't don't be surprised if if this pick ends up being inaccurate because there's just no way he stays on the board. But uh, if he does stay on the board, then... You said the same thing can... about Nick DeLeon a few years ago. That's true. That's true. He did have um, the questions about character and the injury at the Combine, which... Mm-hmm. Um, and I left a comment earlier today um, on the blog about how people... And, and this it's not just fans. This goes all the way to the highest levels of soccer press and even coaches and, and people that do you know, take care of MLS teams for a living. People treat the combine as, as if it is equal or better than uh, an entire college career in terms of evaluation. And it's really not. It's three games uh, across three days with unfamiliar teammates in unfamiliar positions sometimes with an unfamiliar coach. It's not a good evaluation tool. Um, other than the, the player interviews and that sort of thing, um, there's a certain value to it, especially if it's seeing someone in person you've never gotten to see in person before, but we shouldn't overstate the combine. And I think that may have allowed daily to fall to us. Um, I don't think I don't, I haven't heard anything about uh, Toma having a bad combine, but uh, to seg into Akil Barrett, Akil Barrett's getting a lot of buzz at the combine for being a very entertaining player to watch. Um, a lot of people are talking about his, uh, Ability on the dribble, um, his quickness, his ability to escape his marker, um, which is kind of the idea I had. I I knew of him. Um, I'm not going to say that I've seen or any of the East Coast players, but um, Barrett plays at Tulsa. Um, he is small, um, which may make this another Jose Gomez uh, mock draft uh, selection in which I took a player who's good at good at the soccer side, but is too small and light and doesn't get selected at all um, because Barrett is listed at like 5'7 and 130. He's a very small guy. Um, but we've all, we've all seen uh, small soccer players do some things that are good from time to time. And um, then we've all seen Marco Sanchez. Right. Um, or, or Franco Neal. Right, but those guys had other Christian problems. Castillo. Those guys had other problems that were not necessarily related to their size. And, you know, they didn't really understand how to play soccer in MLS, um, regardless of big or small. Um, I don't think I, – I, I would be surprised if Barrett lasted this long um, due to the combine buzz he's getting. Uh, it seems like every year a player that does well at the combine um, that may have been a late second round – or now that expansion's happening so fast, late second round – doesn't mean this as well. Um, it's only a few years ago since there was no number 42 pick at the Super Draft. Um, this was a supplemental pick. Um, now there's 20 teams. I was having to explain this over the weekend to my friend. He was like, what do you mean that this? Uh, you had a pick that wasn't even a second-round pick a few years ago? It's like, there, there are like double the teams now. You've got to keep up with yeah. the times. Um, so I, I would suspect that his combine showing is going to get somebody to take a chance on him. Um, probably not your more defensive-minded coaches, um, and maybe I would look for teams that have that in-house um, USL pro side uh, to go after someone like Barrett. And if we took Barrett, he would spend most of the season in Richmond, um, unlike Cristiano Francois, who kind of it, broadly broadly speaking is a similar sort of player. He's small, he's fast, he's good on the dribble. I think Barrett is a, has a more keenly developed um, understanding of what he's supposed to be doing on the field. Um, he understands that you can't 
always run at your man, um, no matter what's going on, that you can get away with in the last 50 years of soccer. Um, but uh, he's a, it's kind of a wild card. It's kind of a roll of the dice if, if United was to take him. But at, at the 42nd pick in this draft pool, they're all, at that point, it's all rolls of the dice. Um, the goalkeepers that I was looking at were all gone. Um, and actually, uh, I believe Spencer Ritchie went one or two picks ahead, and I was planning on grabbing him. Um, I'm now bringing that up just to be absolutely sure. Yeah, yeah he, he went, went like three picks ahead 40th. of him. He, he went 40th to Seattle to uh, to our friend Dave Clark, who was uh, who also got um, Zanon Kotic, um, who was a player that people are going to, if you're listening to this before the draft, people on draft day are going to say, who the hell is that guy? Um, Kadic played NAIA because he had signed a pro contract uh, at 18, uh, went to Kaiserslautern, it didn't work out. When he came back, he wasn't NCAA eligible because the NCAA is so smart um, that they keep good players like that out. Um, so he was playing NAIA at Davenport University in Iowa, um, but he was also playing PDL soccer and making a big impact at that level. Um, so he's a, he's a guy that could be... Um, Maybe not quite. Have, he might not have the impact that Tesho Akindele did, but he is going to be a sort of left field name that no one's talking about that ends up um, getting picked in the first round. I would suspect and and doing something, not just not just getting picked, but actually doing something as a uh, rookie. All right, that is all we're going to talk about the draft and rookies tonight, because now we're moving on to an actual signing of a 30-year-old, a grown-up, an adult, someone with... A grown-ass man. Well, I wouldn't go that far. He's not not 40, so... He has a family. He's not a man. He does have a family. He's got a wife and a kid. He's Finnish, which is... Yeah. He wears a headband, which... I imagine that Finland is a tough country to be in. It's cold all the time, or often, anyway. When you want nice weather... When you're in Finland and you want nice weather, you go to Sweden. That's that's how hard it is yeah. in Finland. And that's what he did. Yeah. He played for Malmo, so we've actually seen him in preseason. Uh, many, many times. Yeah, so many times. Twice a year, every year, for eternity. Our, our annual match with Malmo. And, Which is and, rumored to be happening again in early February. Yeah, I won't right. get it. His name, of course, if you haven't heard, is, is Marcus Halsty, and he has this... A, a, a wonderful Twitter handle, Halstinho, that just recognizes how awesome he is. He he spent a lot of his career as a defender, but in the last couple of years has moved into the midfield where he plays kind of a, a defensive, maybe even a box-to-box role. I'm not entirely clear. And he's had the best two years of his career there. Last year he was best 11 in the Swedish league, which has a name I will not attempt to pronounce. Right All Svenskan? The All Svenskan? Say it. Oh, Svenskan! I hate both of you so much. Go, Svenskan! I hate Ben more. <laughs> anyway. Go, Svenskan, soon. Anyway, Ben, tell us about your thoughts on Marcus Halstey. I hate you so much. Um, I think it's a really great signing. I think it... Um, uh, it He's a player who's going to immediately challenge Davy Arnault for that uh, defensive midfielder spot, that central midfielder spot, alongside uh, Perry Kitchen. Uh, 
it's we don't know yet if he's going to be able to if he's going to be able to supplant Arno immediately. I mean, Arno's going to be turning thirty five this year. Uh, Alsti is thirty, I believe. Thirty one in March. Thirty one in March. So, uh, not a young spry chicken by any means, but he's got a he's still got a good career in front. He's of younger him, than so. I am, Ben. Come on now. And you're no young spry chicken. You I'm glad we didn't out. sign a chicken. <laughs> if we had signed a goat, however, uh, I was going to say we have to deal with chickens now, not just goats. <laughs> I mean, I bet chickens could like really bite your ankles and really cause problems. So I bet they would be yeah. good defensive midfielders. No, 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 Biting chicken of doom. I, I, I bet Richie Williams, Williams would have been would have been a good like chicken midfielder. No, he's too smart. Chickens just run around and do whatever they want. You can't trust a chicken in defensive midfield. Chickens That's are true. really dumb. I have a friend That's who true. raises That's chickens, true. and they are incredibly yeah. stupid creatures. So basically, what we want is a goat running around and uh, headbutting people in in central midfield. So Jason, do we want to pay uh, a contract for Ram? Go ahead, go ahead. I, I've lost complete control. <laughs> I've lost all control <laughs> but no, of this episode. That's okay. No, no. But uh, hewing back to the point, uh, if uh, I think Halsey is a good signing, regardless, because if he can. Uh, push Dave Yarno to the bench, then having somebody like Dave Yarno on the bench and him possibly being the new standard would be a coup for DC United. And if he doesn't uh, push Arno to the bench, still, he has Champions League experience, he has Finnish national team experience, he's on the Allsvenskan uh, best 11, he's still going to be a large upgrade over uh, Lewis Neal for the the role of the standard. So yeah, and we all love Lewis Neal. And for those of you who who haven't read the site for for long enough, the standard is is kind of a long standing uh, thing. It goes at back Black to like, United. It goes it back to 2010. Steve, yeah, it goes back, which is when the the site started. It goes back to Stephen King. Yes. Who? Not the author. He he. Who, actually, there actually was an MLS midfielder named Stephen King. And who, who remembers Stephen King at this point? I mean, honestly, we remember him because he was the well, standard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he he was the player who would would get into maybe half the games over the course of the year and would be on the bench for almost every game. Would start three to six games a year, and and he was the guy that you think that is the the bottom level of of player that I'm willing to see on the field regularly for DC United. And so Martin Schatzer, our founding editor, uh, he he coined the term the standard. And after King was let go, Lewis Neal became the standard. And and Neal was an upgrade over Stephen King. And now if, if Davy Arnault, who United did not win a game last year, unless Arno was starting in central midfield, if he becomes the standard next year where he is the the lowest level of quality player that, that we see on the field regularly, that will be a major, major thing for DC United, especially considering that, that the team's going to be in four competitions at least next year. They're, they're going to be in MLS, they're going to be in the Open Cup, they're going to be in two different editions of the Champions League because of the way the CONCACAF schedule goes. Maybe they'll be in the playoffs, maybe they'll be in in another international competition whose name I dare not say for fear of jinxing it. You know, there there are 
that if Arnaud is the lowest level quality player we see, then that's a huge deal. They're going to play in the all-sense skin. They will not play in the all-sense skin. Already, there, I said we're it. We're already Are you playing happy? Multiple, multiple Swedish teams in the preseason. We might as well. Um, but uh, I will say with, with Arnaud, it, uh, let's assume um, hypothetically that Halstey does push him to the bench. Yeah, and that's I a think, big assumption at this point. Great. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but uh, I do think that the signing was made with that in mind. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, know, you don't pursue a guy that has played in the Champions League in Europe and, and is coming off of a best 11 in a, in a league that's close to uh, equivalent to MLS. Um, Jason, what's that league called? It's called the All Svenskin. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you don't pursue a guy like that and sign him uh, without the thought that he's going to be a regular on your team somewhere. And we don't need him at center back, which is where he's he's he used to play before moving into the midfield. Um, so so if that that's how everything shakes out, then. We now have someone that can play uh, right midfield like Nick DeLeon where there's a, a certain narrowness and a little more defensive responsibility. Um, we don't have to look into how we're going to balance things out with, say, Chris Rolfe and Chris Pontius both playing because that's a little more um, – it's a, it's a little bit defensively liable just because those are going – those two both want to get forward, and they should um, – but we don't necessarily, especially on the road, we're not necessarily going to want to play with those two as, as wingers because um, you're having to ask them to do things that aren't necessarily their best quality. Um, so it gives us an extra player to balance out the midfield, um, especially when we're trying to grind out results, which is still going to be a thing that ha- that happens from time to time. Um, it's a, it's a, I think it's preferable to having Sean Franklin playing right midfield Mm-hmm. Um, and bringing Chris Corbin, which was something we saw a few times last year. Um, so, so that's a positive. And obviously, um, with the number of games this year, it's not like um, Arnold isn't going to play. Um, and and Dave Casper made a point of of noting that the fact that Holsten could play both central defense and central midfield was a good thing, and he he made a point of bringing it up in the uh, official release uh, from the club. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we see him play a few games there. As much as Bobby Boswell doesn't ever take games off, he's going. there are going to be games that he doesn't play this year because you can't play every league match and then also every other uh, Champions League and U.S. Open Cup game. There's um, a cap that, that is some number lower than 40 games a year. Right. Um, you, you don't want to play six games in two weeks, even at center back. Um, at some point, something's going to give. Um, I do wonder if it will be a situation where Olsen tries to avoid playing Boswell and Halstey at the same time. Um, there are some issues, there are some questions out there that Halstey isn't the fastest player, um, and playing him alongside Boswell might be an issue. Um, I think also there's, they're both veterans, they both, um, Halstey says himself he's a, a leader on the field, he likes to organize, and uh, I think, as he put it, be demanding, Um which uh, is something Boswell is also uh, known for doing. Um, we might see a situation where Halstey steps in at center back when Boswell isn't going to play, which means that Davy Arnaud might have to play the previous game in central midfield. Um, so there's a lot going on in terms of rotating players. Um, there's a, f- a new flexibility that, that's there that wasn't there before because we didn't have a center back that could play that, that position. 
um, in central midfield. So it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. And, and I think the biggest thing is just um, that he's here already. Um, this isn't a guy we're signing halfway through preseason because our preseason is going to be truncated. Um, he's already going to be in town today, or not today, but you know, very soon. Uh, when camp kicks off, he will be with everybody. He'll already be, um, I assume, somewhat integrated into the group. He'll have already met some of his teammates, um, that sort of thing. He won't be coming in having spent a week of preseason doing contract negotiations or whatever. Um, so that's, uh, that's all entire preseason with the team, which is always right. a benefit. And, and his mind will be on that as well. He won't be thinking about, oh, I'm coming to training, but then I have to go talk to Dave Casper for, and my agent for an hour about what my contract says. He's already signed off. It's already done. Um, and that's a better situation than, you know, if we sign, like, let's, the, the rumor is that we're still looking at European or Scandinavian players um, to bring in more. Um, those guys might not arrive until the end of January, uh, some of camp, and it'll be a little over three weeks before they're having to play a game, potentially. So this is the ideal to, uh, in, in, in our particular context, is to get guys in as fast as possible. Um, I, I think it's also nice that I, I think I was reading that Halstey's record of, of getting injured is very, very short. He's not a, he's more of a Boswell. He just doesn't get hurt very often. He's one of those guys that has the, the luck of the draw in that, that, Department and that's always nice in a season that Not potentially is going to have 40, 45 games. Yeah, uh, there uh, I did it. <laughs> yeah, I before we move on, I think it bears noting that that Perry Kitchen this past season had he his game evolved from that of a pure defensive midfielder, which is how we a lot of us still like to think of Perry Kitchen into a real box to box guy. He was the more advanced. Of of the pe- partnership between he and and Davy Arnault last year, especially as the season went on, Perry Kitchen became more of a box to box threat and not just a defensive midfielder. It was actually, if anything, he was a forward destroyer, if you want to put it that way. So so it, th- this actually does make sense as a replacement for Arnault and not as a guy who will spell Kitchen. Yeah, and and to to split hairs a little bit, I would say that. Arnaud actually probably spent more time a little further forward than Kitchen, but Kitchen would cover more of a, a swath of, of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously he's running forward more often than Arnaud. So he's covering more ground, and he pops up in forward positions more often, but his starting point uh, is still the more defensive of the two midfielders. Okay. Um, I like to think of it more as Kitchen having... Kitchen has a little more vertical responsibility than uh, Arnaud and probably Halsty, uh, whoever takes that spot. And then Halsty and Arnaud is more um, someone that's going to have to maybe be the brains a little bit and uh, get in a spot so that if we don't, if this, the attack isn't successful, that's somebody that's slowing things down so that we don't just get countered on. Um, yeah, especially when Kitchen does burst forward. Though I think um, we'll still see. Uh, Holsty and or Arnaud jumping forward from time to time. Um, but as Arnaud ages, certainly he's not going to be able to do that as often. Mm-hmm. Um, and at 35, you know, we've seen um, with Dero how fast it can hit you. Um, the, the loss of athleticism all, all of a sudden. By all accounts, Arnaud is in great shape, but I mean, by all accounts, Dero so is Dero. in excellent shape. 
and and is no is still when he was in Toronto this past season, no one was saying, "Oh, Dero's not taking care of himself." Um, it just his body couldn't do it anymore, couldn't do the same things anymore. So you never know um, when it's going to hit. I mean, Precky played until he was forty-one, and he didn't really lose a step. Um, so it's all luck of the draw, and it's good that we're prepared for it uh, rather than just hoping for the best or, or signing someone that's not ready to start over Davy Arnold, and and we have to fill that in with a lesser player. Um, if they, um, it's much better to say let's get ahead of the situation and maybe even improve upon it. Even if he, even if he doesn't lose a step at all this year, we're still potentially improving upon that spot on the field. And that's, that's a good way to do things as opposed to some of the seasons past where we haven't, we've been reactive and we paid for it. While we're talking about Perry kitchen and, and the DC United midfield and defense setup, we should point out that uh, camp strudel, Jurgen Klinsmann's January camp, uh, formerly known as Camp Cupcake under Bob Still Bradley. Still known as Camp Cupcake. It's Camp Strudel now. Come on. No. It's no. Strudel. No. It is. We're all no. German now. No. Camp dessert. <laughs> I think Strudel is Austrian. Which is German. Austria is just Germany. Come on, don't kid yourself. Anyway, <laughs> Steve Birnbaum, MLS Rookie of the Year finalist, and Perry Kitchen... Are. No, no, no. He's MLS Rookie of the Year. I refuse to acknowledge Tesho Akindele's victory. Even though, even though he's also in, in camp, and Harry Ship is not the other finalist. Tesho Akindele had year. one good month. One good month. I agree. I agree. And I, I think it's entirely possible he never gets capped for the U.S. and ends up representing Canada, where he also has citizenship. I think that's entirely possible. Steve Birnbaum and Perry Kitchen are both in the U.S. men's national team January camp. Bill Hamid, however, has been held out. The, the team, D.C. United, uh, withdrew him, essentially saying that he's still recovering from a shoulder injury suffered against the Metros in the playoffs. He definitely did have some kind of tweak to his shoulder. So it makes sense that with, you know, with a game a few short weeks away in the Champions League. It makes sense for the team to say, no, we don't want to risk him. And Jurgen Klinsmann's notoriously idiotic conditioning and training sessions. You don't want... I, I, I Honestly, at this point, I'm almost scared about Kitchen and Birnbaum going to this camp because I don't want them going from no practices, no training, basically full-on off-season, to three-a-days which Jurgen Klinsmann might have them doing. And, Seven a days. Yeah, he might have ten a days. Who knows? He's Jurgen Klinsmann. He's ridiculous. Fitness. And, and, and he makes no sense, and he doesn't seem to understand modern training methods and how to not injure his own players. Uh, not, not that I have a strong opinion on this or anything. <laughs> but, but, but Birnbaum and, and Kitchen both getting recognition and and both seem likely to to potentially get some minutes against Panama and Chile this month which would be you know good to see it's always good to see DC United players representing in the red white and blue um so so just wanted to point out that they are are both there in club based international competition DC United we all know will be playing Alajuelense in the next round of the Champions League, a home-and-home home series, we go to Panama, or sorry, to Costa Rica to play them uh, at the end of February, and then we host them the Wednesday before 
MLS season starts. So we will be done with the quarterfinal round of the Champions League before MLS ever actually kicks off. And we find out today that Alajuelense is going to be facing some pretty significant suspensions to two of their players. Jason, you want to go into it? Sure. Um, well, basically what happened in their final game in the group stage against Cruz Azul, in which both those two were fighting for the one spot to advance, um, Alajuelense got through, they got the result they needed, and the game ended with a massive brawl uh, with multiple players coming in off the benches and just utter chaos, the kind of chaos that sometimes happens in the CONCACAF Champions League. <laughs> um, and CONCACAf, uh, with their traditional uh, organized and judicious approach, uh, had several months to sort this out and only just uh, informed everyone, including Alavalense's coach was, uh, as of last week, complaining that he still had no idea what suspensions, if any, would be handed out. Um, <laughs> CONCACAF finally got around to telling them just now. Um, their starting goalkeeper, Patrick Pemberton, who has played for Costa Rica, and uh, Kevin Sancho, who is, uh, I don't want to say, a, he's been a starter recently because of some other injuries elsewhere. Um, more of a often used utility player. Um, they'll be they'll be suspended for six games, so they will not play. Even if Alejandro goes to the Champions League final, they'll not play a second. Um there were also suspensions on Cruz Azul's side, but they're out, so who cares? Um, Pemberton hey, uh, is a pretty. S- Go ahead. Maybe we'll we'll run into Cruz Azul in next year's Champions League, so it'll matter. Then. I hope not. Yeah, I hope I not. Hope not too, uh, but maybe it'll I hope matter. We continue especially, not, especially not that early. Yeah. Well, we obviously right. we we can't play them in the group stage because us. Concacaf yeah, keeps keep the U.S. Apart. and Mexico apart. Yes. Uh, but we, anyway, if we were to, yeah, anyway, that's that's too far ahead. Um, Pemberton is a pretty solid goalkeeper, and I don't know that they have a backup that's of his quality. Um, most Central American teams, other than uh, there's one exception, uh, Olympia in Honduras has a tendency to always have two of Honduras's three national team goalkeepers. I don't really know how they <laughs> keep those players happy or how that's a good idea. Um, but uh, other than that, most teams do not have two excellent goalkeepers or even two good goalkeepers. So um, Pemberton's absence may may play uh, a positive if we don't see uh, if we don't see Alavalente go out go out and find somebody. They, their coach actually talked about um, one of the reasons he was upset is he was considering making signings uh, for this game to to give you an idea of how serious um, they're taking this. Um, this is. Alavalense uh, has made a uh, real, real impact in the last few years in the Champions League. Um, so it's not like we're the only ones that are, are involved or, or that care. That they, they are, if anything, they're taking it more seriously than we are. Um, but that's that's how things have been in recent years. Um, and by recent years, I mean the entire history of MLS. Um, <laughs> Sancho. Uh, Sancho may be a pretty big absence. I know I said he was an off-use utility player. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Um, their normal right back, Jose Salvatierra, uh, is injured. They said he's not going to be – they don't expect him to be fit in time to play either leg. Um, Sancho is the best backup they have for right back. Um, so with him out, I'm not even sure who they have available to play that spot. Um, they did play a back three in the group stage for one game. 
And if they don't have another right back that, that, that I'm familiar, I'm not familiar with them, they could still have another guy to, to fill that role. But if they don't, we could see them play a back three instead of a, um, they've really played four, two, three, one most of the time. Um, especially against the better teams. When they, when they faced a better team, they almost always play, uh, four, two, three, one. So they may be shifting, uh, formation. Um, but on the other hand, they've kind of caught a break. Um, I was, I was expecting, uh, their, their defensive midfielder, um, uh, Guzman, I can't remember his full name, uh, but Guzman, um, he, he's a, not just a destroyer, but he also drops back deep to collect the ball and start their possession. Um, he was involved in that brawl and I was kind of expecting him to get a suspension as well. Um, maybe CONCACAF never even bothered looking at the tape and just said, uh, you two are suspended. Um, because this is CONCACAF and it could be that standard of laziness, um, Mm -hmm. or just, just ineptitude. Um, he will play, um, and there's no talk of him being hurt. So, um, that, that's maybe, I, I don't want to say unlucky for us, um, given that we've been so lucky to get all of these things that keep falling, you know, if we follow the thread of how we got to this Champions League, um, all the way back to uh, a <laughs> warm night in Richmond. Uh, oh well, no, I, I would go all the way back to uh, being nine on eleven in overtime against the Richmond Kickers and and not <laughs> conceding and then uh, winning on penalty kicks. Um, I still feel like some sort of space time continuum thing happened there, where we probably should have lost that game given the way that twenty thirteen went. Jason, um, I'm pretty should... sure you invented time travel at some point in the future and went back yeah. at one trip, and you went back to that moment to make sure that DC United but won I did... somehow. But I didn't do anything, and Ben was there. Ben can confirm that I didn't go on the field and change the game it's at all. It's true. I, I, um, I, think, I think it is the the glory of Bodkin, even though he was gone. Somehow Bodkin, <laughs> the U.S. Open Cup. The ghost of Bodkin. Yeah. Exactly. The ghost of Bodkin floated over the U.S. Open Cup and made DC maybe, maybe. that game. But it, it just, it, there's, these suspensions are just one more example of these things falling into place uh, for us in knockout competition. Um, now we just have and, to go out and win the thing. Right. Um, and Alo Valencia is a team that's really defensively focused. Um, I think their track record is... Uh, in group in group stage play, at least I think they've given up three or four goals in their entire in, since the Champions League became the league instead of the cup. Um, they've only given up three or four goals in like eleven home matches. So uh, if they've got guys suspended, um, we might be able to actually uh, go down there and do something rather than just hope for a zero zero. Um, so it's definitely an advantage. It's nice that Chris Rolf appears to be. Uh, on track to be healthy for that one, uh, lining up at left midfield. Um, or maybe Chris Pontius uh, just just uh, takes the job back, um, which is another nice thing to have players of that quality fighting for one spot on the field, potentially. And Fabian, uh, since, and Fabian Espindola has nothing else to play for early in the season except these two games. Right, right. Well, and, 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 and he really not, cares about the Champions League because he lost a final. Yeah, that's what exactly. Yeah. And, and Espindola is super excited about uh, Champions League play because he, he he is maybe still haunted. I, I imagine that he stays up at night still thinking about yeah, that. Not maybe still thing. haunted. He's his comments right. indicate he is still yes. chronically haunted. Yes. Uh, and and uh, even today, um, Marcus Holtzi himself said that he was one of the reasons he was excited to come to DC United was because they're in the Champions League quarterfinals. So. We've got uh, a lot of things lining up, and it's not just, 
oh, it's this quarterfinal, so I guess we'll send out our best guys, but it's, if we lose, it's no big deal. Um, it appears that the team, in, inside within the team, the players are, are super, super focused on it, um, which could backfire if we get eliminated. Um, that happened to RSL a few years ago. They, they When they lost that final, they then went like a month and a half without playing a good game. Um, it took a long time for them to get it together, which is a problem for the future potentially. Hopefully not. Hopefully um, our all-eggs-in-this-basket approach uh, mentally gets rewarded with a, a, a victory, really? not I'm just over sure. Alavante, but the yeah. other teams. Or, or wherever. I thought you were going to mention well, it. Well, I didn't say the name of it. Okay. I'm just saying, Japan for some reason. There, there may be really expensive trips to Morocco or Japan or wherever in the world next December because of events. That's all I'm going to say. The International Code would, Expo? Is it? I would like there to it, be it expensive trips time, because isn't of it? events. Because Morocco, I think people were pretty unhappy with um, uh, there was a field issue in a competition there. Yes. Yeah, there there seemed to be Morocco was afraid of a disease and and therefore was stripped of consideration of things and it's so the, the Morocco seems unlikely. It's the International Goat Expo. That's what's happening, right? That's what you guys are talking about. All right, if if United sure, gets that point, I will happily call it the International Goat Expo. There, I I will. <laughs> that is the deal I will make. I am willing to take on that burden. Uh, one last thing to talk about tonight, and it's it's not Frank Lampard, it's not Nick's Discarude, it's not anything else having to do with NYCFC, it's not Steven Gerrard, uh, or, or Steven Gerrard, as I hear, hear more and more Americans referring to him. Uh, it is, in fact, a DC United coaching update. Uh, Enzo Concina is out. It sounds like he's going to Montreal. And Preston Burpo, DC United's goalkeeping coach, is also out. It sounds like he is going to go out west to raise livestock or something. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it sounds like DC United has replaced Burpo with Zach Thornton, formerly of Chivas USA, as a goalkeeper, and uh, a few different college programs as a, a coach. Uh, which which just proves that right now with with Jesse Marsh taking over the Metros for Mike Petke because LOL Metros, uh, it is a Chivas USA coaching bonanza right now. Uh, the the only former person the, the only person formerly associated with with Chivas USA who doesn't have a coaching job in MLS right now, ironically, is Preki, who's running Sacramento Republic. So he'll be back in MLS. In so he'll 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 years. he'll find his way back to MLS soon enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but Ben, do you have any thoughts on on the various coaching changes uh, along DC United's bench? I didn't even mention Amos McGee, who has now he he's basically replaced replaced Conchina as a full time member of of the bench squad of coaches. Yeah, I mean. It's sad to see Conchina leave. Obviously, we don't know how much effect individual assistant coaches have on the day-to-day functioning of DC United, but it was stark to see Conchina come in at the beginning of this year, and DC United's defense have such a stark uh, turnaround. Uh, That said, Amos McGee was also a 
defensive coach. He was a defender in his time, and so he probably probably contributed as well. So who knows? But it is sad to see Conchita leave, and it is sad to see that fruit of the Inter Milan-DC United relationship uh, go so quickly, Uh, although it does make sense since uh, Conchita did play for uh, the Montreal Impact in a previous iteration, and he was connected with their head coaching position just a few short years ago. He was so, a finalist. I think he was the the last guy. He was basically the guy. Yeah, who yeah, didn't no, get he the was, job. yeah, yeah. He was the other guy. So, and and now he has to work under Frank Klopas, which is going to be maddening, I'm sure. No, but, I mean, he, and he, Klopas. He, I mean, honestly, gonna, if we're gonna have a sack race this year, Klopas has to be. One of the well, odds-on favorites. Well, yeah, he's going to work under Klopas until June, and then he Klopas is going to get fired, and then he's going to be the head coach. Exactly. Right, but but taking on the head coaching gig at the Montreal Impact is a short-term position, uh, as everyone has learned. It's a longer-term position than the TFC head coach. Hashtag, sometimes. Hashtag great core, hashtag vocal minority. We like you guys. And on that shout out to our, on that shout out to our friends in Toronto and awful hashtags. Let's end the show because I don't think we can hit a lower note than a random hashtag made up by Ben Bromley. Hashtag goats. Like I said, thank you guys all for listening through the madness that you you see what I put up with. Thank you for putting up with us. Find us all at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu, plus all our personal accounts. I would not recommend following uh, Ben or Jason's accounts, especially Ben's right now, but but that uh, might be a personal thing. I provide a public thing. service. Uh, if it's like 10 <laughs> o'clock on a random weeknight and you want to know whether Big Lebowski is on, I'll probably be telling you uh, because it's probably on IFC. Also, also I posted a link to the map of all goats in the United States. <laughs> like right? I said, you probably so don't want to follow Bromley. So you want that, so you should follow me. Send your hate mail to <laughs> filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Most of all, if you enjoy us, um, if you enjoy the show, whether wh- however you feel about goats, tell a friend about the show that's really how how the word gets out so for jason and ben and 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 thanking travis clark uh i am adam taylor and we will talk to you real soon say goodbye jason goodbye jason